Uh, And our gospel reading for today is Luke chapter 13, verse 31 to 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, good morning. Uh, My name's Ben. I'm a ministry trainee here. Uh, And as you'll have seen from our gospel reading, we're picking up our series in Luke's gospel after a couple of months in Leviticus. Uh, We're walking with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Why don't I pray uh, as we sit and listen to Jesus. Lord God, thank you that we can come together now and hear your word. I pray that as we consider this short but dense passage, I pray that your spirit will be at work in us, that he'll show us the Lord Jesus and what he came to do. And I pray that we will leave today being encouraged to live for him, even when it's hard. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, I've been reading the past week or two about Alexei Navalny. Uh, Have you heard of him, the name ring a bell? Uh, He's a Russian activist. He's the poster boy for opposition to Putin and for kind of being generally pro-democracy. I've got a picture of him here, actually. Let me put it up. Hold on. Remember this guy? Alexei Navalny. I'll stick it up over here so you can see him. Hopefully you can all more or less see that. Uh, You may remember in 2020, uh, he was all over the news because he was poisoned in an airport with the nerve agent Novichok. People remember that? Uh, Probably poisoned by the Russian authorities. Uh, This guy, he got poisoned. Uh, As I read about him, you you really can't help but admire his bravery. Uh, He survived the poisoning, now he's in jail in Russia, and he kind of continues his activism from over there. Uh, I admire his bravery, but it, it does also make me think Uh, Maybe you wonder this sometimes too. Um, If you lived in Russia and and you thought that the regime was corrupt and undemocratic, would you throw your lot in with Navalny? Do you go to his rallies? Do you like his videos and share his posts? Because, you know, like, on the one hand, you agree with him, right? You believe what he says is true and uh, correct about the government and corruption and stuff. On the other hand... Things really don't look great for Navalny, do they? I mean, he got poisoned by the Russian authorities with a nerve agent. He's currently in prison. Uh, And let's be honest, there's no guarantee he'll ever succeed. Like, there's there's no fundamental law saying that Russia will eventually oust the strong man and bring in democracy. And, you know, if you look at Russian history, you'd have to say the odds are probably against that happening. So what would you do? Like, if you throw your lot in with Navalny, that will cause you trouble with the authorities, for sure and potentially for no benefit. There's no guarantee he'll succeed. So you might think, oh, you know, it would be good to follow him, to support him, but I don't think it's for me. His way is too hard. 
It's tough, isn't it? You know, I genuinely don't know what I would do if I was in that situation in Russia. That's Navalny. What about Jesus? Will you throw your lot in with Jesus? Because doing that is also hard and it is also costly, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you remember, last time we were in Luke, we looked at the passage that comes just before this, and Jesus described following him as being like entering through a narrow door, a door that's narrow. Uh, The way of Jesus is hard, it's hard to get in, and it's not always very appealing. You can kind of see that for Luke's readers in the first century, can't you? It must have been a huge source of shame and mockery that their leader was killed on a cross, you know, the most humiliating death possible. That was shameful. And for us today... There's lots of things our culture just doesn't like about Jesus, isn't there? We can certainly expect opposition for being his followers. Uh, And of course, now as then, following Jesus, it does mean repenting, doesn't it? It does mean taking off your crown and letting Jesus be Lord of your life. And that is not an easy thing to do. That Jesus says the door is narrow, throwing your lot in with Jesus, it will make your life harder. So you might think, how can I trust Jesus when the door just feels so narrow? Uh, Our passage from from Luke today is here to help us answer that question. Uh, I think Luke included this passage to help us correct our view of Jesus. When he seems weak, when his way feels hard, when his opposition feels strong and the door just feels narrow. Come to this passage. And I pray that together we'll see this morning that the narrow door, it is fully worth going through, even though it's hard. Uh, We're going to focus in on three things we learn about Jesus in this passage. Uh, You'll see them on your notice sheet on the back. We've got an outline of where we're going. Uh, We've got his death was deliberate. He mourns for his murderers. His kingdom is coming. Okay. So firstly, his death was deliberate, verses 31 to 33. Let me read those verses out. Verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go and tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So Jesus receives a death threat. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, hey, Jesus, you should probably get out of here because Herod wants to kill you. Now, Herod, he's the guy who rules over the province of Galilee uh, during Jesus' ministry. So to kind of put yourself in Jesus' shoes, perhaps imagine after church today, someone comes up to you and says, hey, did you know, Sadiq Khan wants to kill you. You know, it does sound a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, what's he going to do? Freeze your oyster cards? But I think, you know, he does, he's in charge of the Met, right? He's got a lot of power at his disposal, the full force of the Met. I think if I got a death threat from Sadiq Khan, I would probably want to get out of London pretty sharpish. Uh, And for Herod, all the more, right? Run away, get out of Galilee, get off his turf, go somewhere else where you'll be safe. Surely that's what you'd do. Uh, But look at Jesus' reply. He, He starts off by insulting Herod, calls him a fox, And then look what he says, verse 32, he says, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. I think you could probably summarize that as, stuff you, Herod. I've got a job to do. I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to succeed. 
regardless of your threats. I think straight away, you think, oh, good for you, Jesus. Don't let the man get you down. Um, but then look what he says at the end of verse 32. Did you notice this? He says, on the third day, I will reach my goal. So you might think, well, what is this goal that Jesus is talking about? We get the answer in verse 33. He says, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So Jesus' goal is to die. You see that? I must press on to Jerusalem so I can die. Uh, And remember, this whole section of Luke, from the end of chapter 9 up until chapter 19, is one big journey of Jesus towards Jerusalem. And Jesus keeps mentioning throughout it that he's going to Jerusalem in order to die. So his death, it wasn't an accident. He was determined to go. So, you know, I hope you can enjoy the irony of these verses. You see, kind of, verse 31, the Pharisees say, oh, look out, Jesus, Uh, leave Galilee, go somewhere else, because otherwise you might get killed. You wouldn't want that, would you? And Jesus says, well, thanks for that, guys. Uh, But actually, I am already leaving Galilee for Jerusalem precisely so that I will be killed. Do you see? There's no sense at all that Jesus' death was an accident. He's several steps ahead of Herod. He is determined to go to his death. Verse 32, it's his goal. Verse 33, he's pressing on towards it. He says, his death was deliberate. Uh, For what it's worth, this is what first reminded me of Alexei Navalny. Um, Again, sticking with him, maybe you saw this story in the news. In January 2021, so about six months after he got poisoned by the Russian authorities with Novichok, uh, he announced online that he was going to leave the safety of Germany, where he'd been recovering, and he was going to return to... Anybody remember? Hearing some rushes. Yeah, he was going to return to Russia. Uh, And I remember hearing that on the news and thinking, this guy is crazy. I mean, he's going to go back to Russia, the people who literally tried to kill him with a nerve agent six months ago. What's he thinking? But he did. He got on a plane back to Russia. uh, And sure enough, as soon as he landed in Moscow, he was thrown in jail, uh, trumped up charges. Uh, It's crazy, isn't it? He knew that was going to happen, but he went anyway. In a very similar way to how Jesus went willingly to Jerusalem. Now, you know, imagine tomorrow, if, uh, if Vladimir Putin were to say, ha, 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 because I think he's got quite an evil laugh, ha, 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 look at this pathetic opposition leader, he's in jail, I have triumphed, ha, ha, ha. I think Navalny would say to that, well, yeah, look, you have put me in jail, fair enough. But you know, I did choose to be here. I'm not in jail because of your cunning... I walked into your hands because I thought that the way that I could best advance the democracy movement was to let you throw me in jail. I think if you're a supporter of Navalny, that would give you heart, wouldn't it? You know, there's a plan. His jail sentence is not a failure. And how much more for Jesus? You know, he may have died the most gruesome, shameful death, but it was deliberate. He knows exactly what is going to happen. One encouragement to see that his death was not a failure. No, he pressed on to Jerusalem to his goal, to die for our sins. His death was deliberate. Secondly, more briefly, he mourns for his murderers. Uh, This is verse 34. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus, he's just that he's on his way to be killed in Jerusalem, and now he continues that thought by comparing the wicked Jerusalem of the Old Testament, who rejected God and killed his prophets, with his present-day Jerusalem, who are about to kill God's ultimate prophet, Jesus. Do you see, they're kind of sat in their evil ways. They haven't changed. But I think just notice how surprising it is the way that Jesus speaks about wicked Jerusalem. Uh, He loves them. As you read the verses, you can feel Jesus' heart aching, can't you? He longs to gather them together to restore them, like a mother hen does with her chicks, says Jesus. It's such a gentle, tender picture, isn't it? But Jerusalem, they just won't have any of it. So they're doomed. Peek ahead to verse 35. Jesus says, look, your house is left to you desolate. There's a general principle there, isn't there? You know, you can never oppose God forever. I think verse 35 is also a very concrete prediction of what will happen to Jerusalem. Because in the year AD 70, Jerusalem, it did fall. The Romans, they surrounded it, they put the city under siege, and they broke in, slaughtering and destroying as they went. Uh, And the temple, the kind of the focal point of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation, it was completely destroyed. The city was quite literally left desolate, to use Jesus' words. Uh, As Jesus said last time, the first will be last. And Jesus says that is a tragedy. He longs to restore Jerusalem to save them from the coming judgment. But end of verse 34, they were not willing. So Jesus mourns for them. Just notice the character of Jesus here. I think it's beautiful. Because you might expect the sympathy to be, to be with Jesus, right? You know, poor Jesus being killed by these wicked, stubborn people. That's kind of what you'd expect, right? But here, Jesus' lament is for his killers. I mean, that's classic Jesus, isn't it? He mourns the very people who are plotting right that moment to brutally kill him. That does give you confidence in Jesus, doesn't it? It gives you confidence that his death wasn't an accident. It gives you confidence that the people who killed him were 100% in the wrong. Jesus is not a hapless victim. No, he's the mother of a stubborn, unwilling people who are doomed. He mourns for his murderers. And then finally, his kingdom is coming, our third point. Uh, In verse 35, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the future. Uh, This is all still part of his lament for Jerusalem. He says, verse 35, look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus says, this is where things are going. Uh, We just saw, didn't we, those words, your house is left to you desolate. That's, you know, in one sense, a general condemnation on those who oppose Jesus, but it's also a reference to the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. So in other words, in the end, the enemies of Jesus will be judged. That is the direction things are heading in. Uh, Jesus invites us to see the fall of Jerusalem as a, a huge visual illustration of what happens to those who conspire against Jesus and reject him. Got a picture here, I don't know how accurate this is, but uh, of the, an artist's impression of what the fall of Jerusalem might have looked like. I don't know if that's useful, I'll stick it up on the side here if you can see that. 
You can see fire surrounded by the Roman armies. Oh dear. There we go. That magnificent city that was once the heart of the Jewish nation reduced to rubble and ashes. Uh, and then Jesus says this slightly mysterious phrase at the end of verse 35. Maybe you noticed it. He says, uh, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those of you who come to our 9.30 service might recognize those words from the liturgy. Uh, it also crops up in Luke on Palm Sunday. Uh, and we also said it together this morning. Dave led us in the call to worship. Uh, and here Jesus applies those words to himself. That phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, just to help us get our heads in kind of what Jesus is invoking when he says that. It originally comes from the end of Psalm 118. Uh, and that psalm is all about how God's king will for a while be surrounded by enemies, but will ultimately be rescued from death by God. Uh, and then in the psalm, the king returns home to the temple in triumph and a chorus of people are singing, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, so for a while, the nations thought they could destroy God's king. But now, he has been vindicated, recognized as the cornerstone, the most important, and now he returns in triumph. And Jesus says, that's about me. So in applying those words to himself, Jesus says, look, be in no doubt. The worldly authorities, yeah, they may look powerful right now, they may look like they're running the show and that Jesus and his followers are just you know, a tiny insignificant speck, a religious sect that can just be squashed like an ant. But one day, in the end, Jesus will be shown to be the Messiah, God's anointed king. And his people will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One day the king will arrive in triumph and there will be no doubt in anyone's minds, says Jesus. His kingdom is coming. As we finish then, uh, let's tie things together. Um, I think Luke wants us to respond to this passage the same way we did in our previous passage from Luke. Uh, uh, you don't have your Bible, so you can't see it. But Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus' kind of command that sits over these, this whole little section is, strive to enter through the narrow door. So that's the heading I've put on your service sheet, strive to enter. Uh, but before we get there, let me just ask you, uh, if you're here this morning, I wonder, uh, how do you tell the story of Jesus? Like, what's the story of Jesus' life, would you say? Because I think you hear it told a few ways, don't you? Uh, I think some in our culture, I think of a friend of mine from university, some would see Jesus as a tragic figure. You know, a kind, he was a kind, well-meaning teacher who had a wonderful message of love and forgiveness, but in the end, he was crushed by the mighty Romans. He was helpless. Uh, or sometimes you hear Jesus described as a zealot, don't you? He was a preacher who didn't know when to shut his mouth. He took every opportunity to question and condemn the authorities, and eventually he was silenced as a rebel. You sometimes hear that sort of thing, don't you? You know, of course there's elements of truth in both of those, but I think from our passage today, you'd have to say they both fall quite a long way short. Because they make it seem like Jesus' life didn't really have a plan. His death was just an unfortunate accident. And, you know, 
that, that certainly doesn't give you much to cling on to, does it, if you're his follower? When you're trying to go through the narrow door yourself and you're facing hardship and opposition and self-denial, not much help to you, really. Uh, so instead, today, let's see the way this passage presents Jesus' life. The Jesus who came to earth with a plan to die on the cross. His death was deliberate. The Jesus who mourned for those who were killing him. He mourned for his murderers. But also the Jesus who knew that one day his enemies would be destroyed and he would be recognized as king. His kingdom is coming. Uh, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then I would urge you to make that the picture of Jesus that you have in your head. You know, not just a good teacher or a countercultural revolutionary, but a man on a mission to go to Jerusalem, be condemned, and die on the cross. That, above everything else, is what Jesus was all about. So make sure that is right at the center of your mental picture of him. Because otherwise, I think his life just doesn't really make sense if you don't see him that way. Uh, and if you're here today as a Christian, then I think this passage is a huge encouragement for us, isn't it? Uh, when the way of Jesus seems hard and, and the door feels narrow, be encouraged uh, and strive to enter through the narrow door once more. Uh, I've got a few ideas of how that might look for us, and then we'll finish. Firstly, strive to enter in repentance. Perhaps for you this morning, the way of Jesus feels hard because he demands repentance. If living the way of Jesus feels costly, like it's a burden that you don't think you can bear, then let this picture of Jesus refresh you. Morning, Derek. In eternity, I think, you will say, oh, this life, it was so worth it. Because King Jesus, who I gave my life to, he's been vindicated. And you will get the privilege of standing in the assembly of the believers in the new creation, singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord before Jesus himself. That is surely worth it, isn't it? Uh, in repentance, strive to enter in opposition. Maybe for you right now, the way of Jesus feels hard because of opposition and ridicule. Perhaps your family and friends don't believe. Perhaps sometimes they make you feel a bit foolish for believing yourself. Maybe you feel that in our wider culture, which is, I think, largely fairly dismissive of the Christian message. Uh, if you feel that way, then keep going. And I think from this passage... Remember that Jesus is not a victim. Remember that he was the one mourning for Jerusalem, the ones who killed him. So I think, I think it is right that we too should mourn when we see others reject Jesus, right? So perhaps, you know, the next time you hear a snide comment about your faith, whether that's at work or at home or on the TV, rather than feeling sorry for yourself, which is my kind of gut reaction to that sort of thing, maybe try and recall these words of Jesus instead. Um, remember how Jesus longs to gather his unlistening children together like a tender mother hen. And let those words of Jesus flow into a gospel love that forgives unkindness and works harder than ever at restoring those people to the Savior. In repentance, in opposition, finally, strive to enter in weakness. Maybe for you right now, the way of the Lord Jesus just feels, just feels quite weak. Maybe you feel like the church is small, Christians are weak. can certainly feel that way in the UK, can't it, when society is overwhelmingly secular. Uh, I think when Luke recorded this passage in his gospel, 
He did it for people like you and me who feel that way. Because remember, the believers back then, they must have felt so weak at times, you know, surrounded by Roman power and culture. It must have been completely overwhelming. And the truth of this passage should be just as precious for us now as it was for the believers back then. Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, and he one day will return in glory. And you know, it makes no difference to his lordship whether the church on earth feels big and powerful or small and weak. Jesus is still enthroned as Lord. So look, we've talked a lot about Alexei Navalny. Um, whenever I read about him, I do just think, oh man, you know, I really admire this guy. I really admire his courage. Uh, I think in many ways, he is a really helpful picture for us of Jesus, isn't he? In the way that he willingly goes to be condemned for the sake of his mission. But let me tell you, that is where the similarities end between Jesus and Navalny. Because Navalny, who knows? Maybe he'll end up improving life in Russia, but he may well just end up languishing in prison. We just don't know, do we? But the Lord Jesus, we know exactly how his story goes. Yes, he was oppressed and opposed. He died a shameful death on the cross. But it was all part of God's plan to graciously pay for your sins. And so on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead and declared him to be the Son of God in power and gave him the name that is above every name. That is something that has already happened in the past, and all we wait for now is for that reality to be made visible. That is how the story of Jesus goes. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's someone you can give your life to, even though it's hard now, and be certain of the future that he promises. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the way of the Lord Jesus feels hard. We know that because he says it will be, and we know that from our own experience. I pray that when following Jesus does feel hard and his way feels weak, that we'll remember his words in this passage and be encouraged. Be encouraged that his death was deliberate, he mourned for his murderers, and his kingdom is coming. Lord, thank you that if we put our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never regret it. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen.